You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Gone for main engine start. We have main engine start. Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. Greetings, music aficionados. Welcome to the Modern Musicology Podcast. We are very glad to have you aboard. My name is Alan, author, musician, podcaster, obviously a podcaster, and I am joined by two of my amazing co-hosts, Rob Levy, who is a DJ and an author and all kinds of other things. Greetings and salutations. And Stephanie Seymour, who is a solo artist, a singer-songwriter, used to be the former drummer of the Aquanetas. How are you doing, Steph? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm psyched Yay. to talk about our, our topic tonight. It's oh, my gosh. We're going to be talking about MTV because their anniversary is coming up. And I mean, we talk about something that was an absolute game changer in every possible way, not just the music industry, but culture and fashion and art and everything. I mean, so we're going to be talking about MTV tonight. But before we do that, I want to get to a little bit of listener feedback. Our first one. And and this is um, in response to our metal episode, which came out uh, two weeks ago and featured a friend of ours named Matt Alshbach. The first response comes from now this guy has is a regular listener and has um written to us a couple of times and i don't know how to pronounce his last name so i did a little research today on google and on youtube and i've come up with two possible <laughs> pronunciations it's either sajawa or sakzawa so we're talking so about eric i'm talking about eric our friend eric yeah. hi eric so i'm gonna go with uh, the second one. So this this comment comes from Eric Sakzawa, and he says, quote, I like that your guest Matt mentioned the movie Metal Lords. Such a fun movie, especially for classic metal fans. But he recommends it also, even if you're not a metal fan, because it's such a good movie. And yeah. that's a that's a great comment. And um, I still haven't watched it and I'm planning to. It's on my to do list. Me too. And then. So this this next set of comments actually comes not from it directly from our episode, but every week, Stephanie and her husband, Bob, put out a couple of audiograms as like advertisements for each week's episode. And the first one that we put out this past week, which was Anthony talking about mm-hmm. the Judas Priest album Painkiller, generated quite a few comments. So Mike Williams agrees with anthony quote painkiller is a great comeback album for priest and shannon budessa agrees with him she says there isn't a bad song on that album it's a brilliant album Stuart bell on the other hand says quote i still like british steel better 
And David McLean Jr. agrees with him, saying, I think British Steel is way more iconic and important. But then Robert Smith agrees with all of them and says, quote, I would give it to Screaming for Vengeance. So interestingly, they all agree that the iconic metal album of all time is a Judas Priest record, just not the same one. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, totally. <laughs> all right. So we're going to take a super quick break. We'll be back in 30 seconds to start our main topic. Don't go anywhere. What are you going to do, brothers and sisters, when thousands of geeky fans descend on Atlanta for five days and nights of the grandest con of them all? You can prepare by training, eating your vitamins, saying your prayers, and checking out the Dragon Con Report each and every month leading up to the show. Watch or listen and let Dragon Con Mania run wild on you! We are back and we are talking about MTV. Where were you both when you first saw MTV? That's funny. I was going to start the whole thing off like this anyway with this conversation because I I heard about MTV from my best friend Kendra before I saw MTV um, because she was asking me like what kind of bands and music I liked. And I was like, I don't know, like Steely Dan, like because I was listening to my parents' records, basically. I had some of my own records, but not really, you know? And I was 15 at the time, by the way. And uh, she was like, well, Steely Dan, haven't you heard of the Go-Go's? And like all this other stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> what? I'm a, I must be so uncool. So like I immediately went home after school and I found it on, you know, I had to, you have to search. I didn't even know what channel it was. And I searched, I, and I ended up seeing it. And really, one of the first videos I saw was Our, Our Lips Are Sealed by the Go-Go's. Oh. And I was like, "What? oh, my God, what have I been missing? Like this, And it was just, I couldn't believe that there was a channel on TV showing all this music. So that's where that's how I first found out about it. Wow. Thank you, Kendra. <laughs> right. <laughs> so mine is uh, not quite as exciting. I was somewhere between 11 and 12 years old in St. Louis. And a couple of the neighborhood kids used to do, uh, because it gets very hot here in the summer, uh, we did this thing called wiffle ball all the time, mm -hmm. or bottle caps. Eventually, we'd get tired and we just needed a break or something, so we'd go inside. And uh, this, this kid named Bobby in our neighborhood was like the first kid on the block to have cable. Cable television yeah. was a big thing back yes, then, right? Yes, it was. My parents weren't right. going to get it because there was stuff on it they didn't want me to see. Oh, yes. Um, and so everybody, of course, went to his house because he had cable. And um, we would, you know, have sandwiches or lunch or just kind of chill when we weren't playing wiffle ball. And we just sort of gravitated to MTV. And I wasn't really sure what it was. I mean, my musical background at that point, we're listening to whatever, you know, sort of jazz, big band jazz my dad was playing or my brother with his 70s, 80s um, disco and soul and gay house records or early new wave stuff, right, that I had no idea what it was. So that's kind of my background. And then my sisters had their, their Hoosier rock. I just remember the first video I saw when we were all sitting there was ABC's Look of Love, mm -hmm. right? Which I think is 82. And I'm just looking at this thing and I'm like, this is just weird. Because I had, I for some weird reason, I had heard the song at the roller rink. And then this was the video with it. I'm like, wait a minute, this is the video of the song? What, what, what's a video? And then sort of gradually we started going over and, you know, just watching, hanging out and watching MTV. And then eventually when we got cable, 
and this is going to sound insane, but I, I am of a generation where if you wanted to hear a song on the radio, you waited for it to come on and you recorded it with your, with your audio cassette. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. Or you just take hours and hours of radio to do this. Like when I went to mm. stay with my grandfather and I was listening to KUSF or some of the stations on the West Coast, I literally recorded 20 to 30 hours of like 1984, 85 college radio. Yep. Um, MTU was kind of like the video equivalent of that. So probably I would say late 82 was when I got it at home, maybe 83, uh, early 83. And then just, if I was going to be gone, um, I would just put a VHS tape in and watch it later. I still have I some of my VHS tapes. I still have I some of mine too. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, otherwise I'd watch it when I could, it was kind of at first passive watching if there wasn't something else I wanted to watch or if it was hot out or whatever. And then eventually sort of the whole package of MTV kind of got me right. Like, okay. Um, I've watched it long enough that I know who the VJs are and, I see the the video IDs of I want my MTV and little, and the little video drops and stuff. I kind of got the whole branding and I sort of knew what it was. And then um, once I started really liking music, I was off to the races. But I think MTV was kind of like my first exposure to music that I either had not heard or music that I heard and associated with people I didn't like that would try to pummel me within an inch of my life in the neighborhood or thing. So that's kind of how I came to it. We didn't have MTV on the cable system that I was in, in my like little neighborhood, but my father worked at a, uh, he was the manager of a office supply company, a half an hour away, like the next town over a bigger town. And they did. So he got it in the television in his office. So I would just spend the weekends at the office just locked in his like literally from Friday afternoon till sometime Sunday afternoon. And I would just watch MTV and I would order a pizza and I would, you know, eat Doritos and stuff. And I would just watch MTV. I wish I could remember the first video I ever saw. I have no Me idea. Too. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember the first. Yeah. But you know, Rob, you make a, you, you said something about uh, sort of equating it with the radio. And that's a really good point because when MTV first began, that was the model. That was the only model they had to uh, work with. They were, and you know, when you even say a, a radio, this was the, there wasn't even national radio really at the time. So this was a whole new thing where they're thinking in terms of regional local market radio, but they're trying to broadcast it visually to the nation and it took time for all these different um, markets to pick them up yeah and eventually they had to think about how do you program for you know things that the south is going to react to differently than the midwest will and you know when you get to texas and then you none of those places are going to react the same way that LA or New York is going to. And it really started to change the way yeah. that they sort of approach their own in good and bad ways. You know, well, if you recall all the, all the VJs were actually DJs. Uh, yeah. Most, I don't, don't most know of if them. Martha was, but most of them at least. So they, yeah, starting out, they had DJs as VJs. Yeah. So, um, but you you make a good point too. I think they, as they grew, they shaped the market and then markets and they, they then influenced radio, I think. Oh yeah. I mean, I think it was a two way street. I definitely think alternative radio and underground stations and stuff, it, you know, maybe influenced what MTV played originally, 
you know, I'm talking mm-hmm. about really originally because of course later they became one giant radio station as well. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, in the beginning, also, if you think you've got to remember too, they barely had any videos. I mean, you would sit and watch MTV, you'd see the same 20 videos, you know, oh, yeah. every hour. Um, so you would see a really weird mix like Nazareth, April Wine, Blue Oyster Cult, the Go-Go's, 38 <laughs> Special, you know, and and it was like really weird. And an and, awful lot of Rod Stewart. Yeah. Because apparently he had made like seven videos and, and sent them all. Yes, and yes. There was mm-hmm. And there was a lot of American artists who weren't buying into this. Like at the beginning, Springsteen, sure, Tom Petty had no interest in doing music videos. None. Now they, they certainly did buy into it and, you know, made a killing on that stuff. Yep. But they they were not early adopters. No. Yeah. I think too, I think we talked about this earlier that part of the reason that whole British invasion happened is because the Brits had been doing videos longer and they just had the con the plug and play. So you could plug in the buggles, you could plug in all these different bands because the English had been doing videos forever. Right. Oh, I sure. was thinking about that, too, with the new wave movement and the new romantic move, movement specifically, because, you know, Duran Duran, Spandau Ballet, Visage, Ultravox, all these bands were were popular already over in Britain. Um, so they had the visuals over there, I think, before. And maybe, you know, I don't know. Did they have did they have the 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 channel, the, a national channel? Like They had top of the pops, actually. So. Yeah, that was kind of their right. Thing. And, you know, when you're talking about those bands, there's there's a number of those bands. I don't I just don't think would have broken in America, at least not as quickly or as easily as they did. Were it not for MTV and Duran Duran is one of them. The Eurythmics later on Culture yeah. Club. I don't think that those bands they may have they may have. But I just think that MTV was the biggest stepping stone for some of those British bands. That yeah. would not have got the same exposure here had it not been for, and you know, in the early days when yeah. Duran Duran sent the first videos, MTV was in a position where they didn't have that much content. So they would yeah. take pretty much anything they were given. And Duran Duran came at the exact right time. Yeah. And basically they helped launch the success of MTV. There's also too the shock value of it too, because they had a lot of artists that just like, did not look like conventional American artists, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in a way, they sort of spawned that whole mall culture of the 80s with the weird hair and the skinny ties. And, the you know, a lot of that whole fashion movement happened because MTV gave all these British bands a platform. I think radio stations heard Boy George and Culture Club and played the record, and then they saw the videos. But by that time, it was too late. And the videos sort of, in their case, reinforced their fame. Duran Duran, the videos really helped them because they were pinup idols. And same thing with Wham. So there's a lot of that that's really interesting, you know, sort of watching what got picked, what got didn't picked, and just how very quickly artists did a 180 on, yeah, we need to do videos. Yeah. Right. And some of them had to really be, I mean, even when MTV started to catch on, there were still ones that didn't want to have anything to do with it. So, And that sort of brings me to one thing I was thinking of when when bands that were sort of outdated in a way at that time or did or were sort of at a lull in their careers, um, you know, they sort of got new life breathed into them with MTV. And I'm talking about stuff like CZ Top or yeah. Journey or Dire Straits or these or uh, another thing with the whole Genesis and Peter Gabriel and Phil Collin and that whole, uh, you know, that whole scene. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Robert Palmer. There's so many that that used MTV and you know got right. got a, a new life in a way. Heart obviously a bit a little later right. on in there. And I think they had the harder job. I think that the young kids coming yeah. up, yeah. like especially Duran Duran, who had like literally the year before graduated from art school, yeah. basically. So they understood all this stuff, video production and, sure. you know, visual presentation. And they, in a different way than I think a lot of the classic American bands did. I mean, look at the way, I don't think that Aerosmith would have had the resurgence in their career had it not been for that Run DMC video. No, no I not mean, at all. that was massive. For the, the song was great, first of all, and the mashup of the two styles was great, but that video captured the entire spirit of that yeah. song. And I just, and it was like a freaking hurricane. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, look at, look at ZZ top. They changed their, they changed their sound and they did it in a way that matched up with, and they were, whoever came up with this was absolutely brilliant where they had that, that series of videos. They were sequential. They had the same, characters and the same like iconography that sure. carried over into each one of them and so you felt like you were seeing something in a continuity you know yeah i think the, the i think the first single from eliminator was tv dinners and it didn't have any of that stuff so it was the second single that and and tv dinners is such a weird thing to launch a new album with anyway but then all the videos after that sharp dressed man and all Legs. those ones that had the furry guitars that spun around and that car and the, the keychain key and the girls and they those things carried on over all those videos and made yes. that band more successful than they had ever been and who would mm -hmm. ever expect zz top I to know. become an mtv band that's crazy i know they really did use the medium very well yes yeah. And, you know, people who uh, already knew how to use the medium like Bowie, I mean, benefited oh, yeah. massively because, of course, he already understood all of this. You know, I'm talking about established artists because you're right about the younger artists. They were like, let all in. Let's do it. This is totally the future. And and yeah. they knew it. Yeah, right. No, you're absolutely right about Bowie. I mean, he had been shooting videos for his singles for years before this came around. You know, he was an innovator when it mm -hmm. came to to video and and video design and video production and a year before mtv launched he they released um ashes to ashes which was sort of revolutionary as far as like the kind of video effects that they were using and the budget that was being spent the locations that they would that they would shoot at I mean, that was, if that didn't pave the way for exactly what MTV was thinking they were going to be yes. doing, I don't know what it was because that one was like of its time, but looking forward at the same time. That one actually almost made my fav favorites list, but yeah. Not oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, we've talked about this topic a couple of times before our podcast. This this show was basically a YouTube show. And Rob and Tuffley and I, you know, talked about the MTV anniversary two years ago. I think it was for the 40th. And then we did a like a talk about it for Dragon Con or whatever. One of the things that we talked about was video outlets before you had access to MTV because these other services came along like Friday night videos. Yes. And that's where I, I saw all that. of my stuff 
you know, yeah. before MTV, I had access to it. I was watching Friday night videos every Friday night. Yep. And exactly. they played, they played stuff that I never saw on MTV. Like Mr. Mr.'s first single hunters of the night. Oh, which really? was from the first album. The second album was the one that, that exploded and made them huge and MTV played, but Friday night videos played hunters of the night and it was the coolest. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. I mean, that was another thing that I was talking to before the show was, you know, when I was doing promotion at record companies, I was promoting, my job was promoting to local shows around the country and regional shows. So, mm. You know, there was many of many of those existed before MTV as well. You know, oh yeah. Um, of course, they got larger. You know, or they got more popular as video became a more um, common medium. The only one I remember is Friday Night Videos, and I think it was because I was only maybe fourteen or thirteen at that time, and I don't really, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have cable. I mean, cable yeah. was not a thing that, <laughs> you know, yeah. I had before probably before I was fourteen. I don't think. Mm hmm. Yeah. So I wouldn't I didn't see any of that stuff until later Man, on. Yeah. My when, when I was that age, my weekends were Friday night videos every Friday night, Saturday night live every Saturday, Saturday. Night yeah. Live, yeah. See, here we had a thing. We had Friday night videos and then one of the local 40 hot hit videos that they Ooh. produced and syndicated in the Midwest. And so they basically would run their top 20 off their charts every week with videos. Oh, oh cool. Yeah. So That's a lot of cool. stations were starting to do that too. The other thing too, is that I was going at this time to like this all ages juice bar and they were, they'd have bands, but they played records, but they also played videos. So this is MTV sort of spawned the idea of record labels, sending videos out to clubs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. So we were yeah. getting, you know, we were getting like, basically instead of like them putting dead or alive, you spin me around like a record on a, on a, DJ thing to play, they would put on a video mm -hmm. and run that. And that yes. was kind of a whole new thing too. That's oh, like yeah. a danceteria on the third floor. I mean, that they yes. played many, <laughs> you know, really cool and and interesting oh, videos. I mean, that's like where I first saw Bowie, the Ziggy Stardust stuff, that so many oh, like man. things I remember seeing there the first time, like the jam and just but I mean that that was after MT. That's what that was after. I was, you know, 15. Yeah. I mean, I was about 17 or so at that point starting to go there. So, um, but they still played more underground stuff at Dance Interior than, you know, what, what MTV was playing. All right. We can't talk about MTV <laughs> unless we talk about favorite videos. Yes. I mean, come on. That's what everybody's waiting to hear us talk about. Yes. So who wants to kick that off? I'll kick it off. Okay, do it. <laughs> uh, I'll kick it off. So here's my thing. I have... I have some sentimental favorites that might not be the best videos that I'll oh, just yeah. lit that oh, sure. a few, a few of them favorites. of course are our lips are sealed by the go-go's every yeah. little thing she does is magic by the police and you better run by Pat Benatar, which I believe was the oh. second video ever played on, on that. It channel. was the second video ever played, which makes Pat the first <gasps> woman ever played on MTV and Neil Giraldo, the first guitar player ever played on MTV Cool, because the first video was the buggles. There was no guitar. Yep. 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 So I would so, say like those, trivia you know, questions, folks, those are a few. Yeah. Those are a few that are just, you know, sentimental favorites. I, I have some runners up that I will just list also like sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel. Amazing. Pretty much anything from thriller, Michael Jackson's thriller. 
Um, Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation video, which was oh unbelievable. God. I love that video so Just much. The choreography. That Holy is crazy. Moses. Yeah. Um, Raspberry Beret by Prince. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sowing the Seeds of Love. Wait, how are these runners up? <laughs> well, because you'll see There's... when I... And and then, of course, Rio and Hungry Like the Wolf and Take oh, yeah. on Me by Haha. But my I have three favorites, and they're all Spike Jones. One is Sabotage by the Beastie Boys, mm. which is amazing takeoff of like a 70s cop show. And they're all decked out in their 70s gear. And it's just like, it's like one big promo for like some fake 70s cop show or something. And so mm -hmm. it's amazing. I love that one. I'm glad you brought that up. I would never have thought of it, but man, I loved it. Oh God, I love it so much. Uh, second is Weapon of Choice, which features Christopher Walken doing a dance routine around the lobby of a hotel. It actually, it won, won some awards for that one. It's So it's called... Weapon of Choice, Bootsy Collins is featured as the, the voice, but the video is absolutely insane. It is literally Christopher Walken dancing his way through the whole video, and he's amazing. It, it, I was like, <laughs> wow, I didn't really realize Christopher Walken was a multi-talented, but he's one of those old school, you know, he did everything kind yeah. of kind of right. actors. Right. And the last one, and maybe my favorite, is the most simple video called Praise You, which I actually worked when I was working at Astral Work. Well, I was working at Virgin, but we had Astral Works under our under our mm -hmm. umbrella. So um if no one if you haven't seen Praise You, which I can't imagine anyone not seeing that video, but it is a very it's hilarious. It costs like eight hundred dollars. It's it's one of the it's like the first what do you call those things when people just gather and start dancing? What are those flash things? mob? It's like the first real like flash mob. <laughs> I mean, it's like Spike, who's playing this guy called Richard Cofay, and the Torrance Community Dance Group. This is all fake. They're not real gr group. They're just they started dancing and doing this choreography to the song in the middle of this massive crowd of people at a movie theater who had no idea what was going on and that it was not really real. And, you know, that was just like put on. And even when this, the video won, you know, MTV awards and they performed it live on, on the MTV awards in 1999 at Lincoln center, they still kept in character. Like, so Spike Jones was not even admitting that he was Spike Jones in the video at that point. He was just Richard Coffey, the leader of the dance troupe. <laughs> so I know it oh, only cost hilarious. 800 bucks for them to make. They just randomly just went, they had a like guerrilla style filming and then it was mm -hmm. just that's it so i think that was that's my favorite because it's it's just hilarious wow that's i awesome. just talked a lot sorry <laughs> sorry Willis, rob what do you got so some of mine fall into the 120 minutes territory oh yeah uh, i'm one of i'm one of those kids but um i will never forget just the bizarre weirdness of seeing take the skinheads bowling for the first time <laughs> And first of all, going, what the hell is this as in terms of a song? And then what is this as a video? Also, MTV had this contest where you can make a video and send it in, and they would run it. And the person that won uh, was a guy named Baltimore, and he made a record for Tarzan Boy, which is sort of like this notorious one-off video. But the record has sort of become like a one-off sort of pop culture hit thing, uh, 99 Luft Balloons by Nana. Mm -hmm. uh, which I thought yeah. was very sort of claustrophobic at a time when we were all living in the nuclear age. 
uh, putting on the Ritz by Taco. I was just like, this is bizarre and weird and great. Cindy Lauper girls just want to have fun. I just thought that was like yes. kind of a game changer in terms of what it did for being female artist in, in videos in different contexts. And then some of these are like really early 80s stuff. Like, so the Human League, Don't You Want Me? Because it's really kind of mm-hmm. just, it, it just reeks of the 80s. Dead or Alive, uh, Dead or Alive, You Spin Me Around Like a Record. The Thompson Twins, You Take Me Up. Um, Howard Jones' new song. I just remembered hearing that and going, this is fantastic. What is this? The second David Bowie video I ever saw was Let's Dance. And I'm just like, okay. This is this is awesome because I at that point I, I the only Bowie video I'd ever seen was Ashes to Ashes, mm-hmm. and it was just kind of like my context of Bowie was through pictures or records, and it was never visual. So I really sort of it just like flipped the light switch on uh, for me in terms of understanding Bowie as an artist. And then I loved the video for Simple Minds. Don't you forget about me. Because the guy's not really doing anything. He's just kind of doing this little rock and roll sway thing where he's moving around a little circle and he's got his arms folded and he's wearing tweed and not looking cool. So um, I just kind of dug that too. And, you know, I know everybody's going to talk about AHA. And I remember not really particularly loving the song when it came out, but I thought the video was just incredible. It was Um, wicked cool. Right. And I remember whenever there was a video, anything off of Thriller, I know Steph touched upon this, that was an event. Mm-hmm. right it was just like i remember when video releases were like events mm-hmm. like after peter gabriel did sledgehammer his next couple videos are like here's the next peter gabriel video um, yeah they would do the big world premiere things yes yeah hilarious all what right you got alan well you know it's been mentioned twice and i know it's cliche to if you talk about mtv it's like the first thing most people will think of and that's that freaking aha video but I loved that video so much when it came out mm-hmm. um, and it, because it was, there was nothing like it. And I liked the song a lot, but you know, I was a big comic book kid. And so the whole idea of stepping into a comic book and being like drawn, I, man, I just loved it. Um, and they released a number of really cool videos and particularly from that first album, you know, there was the sun always shines on TV and the, the title track hunting high and low. Those were great videos, but maybe my favorite one was from the second album and the song was called cry wolf. And it was just as innovative as the first video. The first video was comic book based. This, the cry wolf was this kid, this little kid who is reading a pop-up book and he flipped the pages and it would pop up to like an animation from like illustrating the story that the lyrics are telling. And then he would turn a page and it would be an animated thing of the band playing, you know, and it was just the coolest video. I absolutely loved it. Now uh, I was also a big fan of 120 minutes and I saw so much stuff on there that I would never have been exposed to otherwise. And one of my favorite things that I've, and I still listen to it now and I still love it. And it is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. And it is the bird song by Lena Lovitch. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> God, I loved it. So, and at the time I was like, this is so bizarre. There is no reason. It doesn't sound like anything else that I like. There's no reason why I should be liking this as much as I do, but I loved it. 
and I would never play it around anybody else. You know, I would never admit that I was like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they played us on on one twenty minutes a couple times. Oh, really? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wonder if I saw you guys because I watched it all the time. Maybe. Oh, wow. Maybe that's why when I first got to know you and I first started listening to Aquanetta stuff, it sounded familiar. Really? Like there was something about it that just sounded like I've heard this before somewhere, but I don't know. No radio station in my area ever played it, or at least yeah. not the ones that I listened to. So I just wonder if maybe I did see you all. Maybe That's so cool. they ran diplomat on 120 minutes. It's after um REM on one of the videos I have. It's after um holy crap, you have it on video. That's so cool. I, I accidentally realized I have it. Yeah, nice. It cuts off the first 10 seconds, but yeah. Cool. And an, and another one that I really loved, and another one that I discovered on 120 minutes was Jane Cybery. And she had a song called One More Color. And 120 Minutes played it pretty regularly. And I think I also may have seen it on Friday Night Videos, I think maybe. But um, my God, I love that song so much. And I have it on a, I've got like an 80s favorites kind of playlist on Spotify. And I have it on there. And every time it comes up, it just makes me joyful. You know, it's such an amazing song. And the video I loved because it was just like her barefoot in like really dressed down in a very rural setting. She's on a dirt road and she's kind of dancing down the road with a cow behind her. (laughs) And it's just so wacko. And I loved it so much, but there was a couple of other songs that she did. The second single, I think was called maps and I loved it too. But one more color is so special to me, man. I loved it. I remember you, I, I totally had forgotten about her, but she, yeah, she was great. Yeah. Yeah, really good. You mentioned, you know, both of you mentioned 120 Minutes as a specialty show, but Mm. I always used to love watching um, Peter Zaremba's IRS, um, you know, it was like IRS Presents The Cutting Edge. Oh, I and it wasn't just that I, show. Yeah, it wasn't just I obviously didn't just play IRS artists, but it was so like what a brilliant marketing plan to have, you know, a record label sponsor a show because of course all their artists are going to get some airplay on that. But mm. it really was a great show. I mean, Peter was a really good host and there was so many just cool and interesting bands that he would play on that. So that was a show that I always used to love watching. Oh man, me too. And I completely forgotten about that. Yeah. Now, you know, I was a big fan of Headbangers Ball. Oh yeah, me too. Watched it all the time. As often as I watched 120 minutes, I watched Headbangers Ball. I loved it. Yeah. Because there were metal bands that I might not have ever heard. You know, and MTV didn't really play them that much in in their normal rotation. Now that was all going to change you know, a little bit later when the hair metal thing launched and holy cow, man. Right. Then they didn't really need headbangers ball anymore. (laughs) Right. Cause the whole channel was headbangers ball, except when they had to play a Michael Jackson video, (laughs) (laughs) but man, I loved it. Cause there was like some, you know, some like harder sounding stuff that MTV didn't play in their normal stuff. And man, I love it. And they had good guests on that. Like I just remember when Anthrax was guests and, you know, Yeah, I, um, that's, that's one of the reasons I loved it so much was, yeah. was for the guests that were they totally. had on. And I, 
you know, I was also at this time kind of trying to learn about other stuff on music. So I would watch that. And Ricky Rackman did a really good job of just being this like sort of everyday guy. Right. I, and I think he was a better host for an MTV specialty show than some of the um, the other shows, right? Because yeah, it was just it was loose and fluid. It was and, really loose and fluid. Yeah. And it wasn't, you didn't feel like you had to come in with a lot of knowledge. But I would watch that in Yo! MTV Raps as well, mainly because uh, hip hop was taking off at this time. As a white kid from the suburbs who was musically curious, I'm like, I need to know what this is. And I need a condensed version so I can keep up with it. And it was great. The early yeah. years of it were fantastic. And as hip hop turns 50 um, this year, uh, the proliferation of hip hop music in American popular music would not have happened without Yo! MTV Raps. Yeah, that was a fantastic show um, too. And it really got a lot of stuff on. And then they did, as uh, you know, they did a couple other things. You know, they they did the really cheesy Club MTV. We were at the limelight once and, and when they came up and talked to us about doing it, um, it was all about like look and style and, and stuff more than substance. But they did give a lot of sort of um, underground dance music at that time, a lot of exposure that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But I do think out of mm -hmm. all of those sort of specialty shows that they did, I think that Headbangers Ball was probably the best produced yeah. um, and probably the most accessible. And um, I think from what I remember too, it had a nice mix of different types of metal. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, definitely. You learned, it had, you know, Priest and Maiden and that stuff and, and had ACDC, but it also had like all the new like, sort of hard rock. Yeah, stuff. they had like Guns N' Roses and like all the. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, well, who was, you know, the, the second batch of DJs that came in? You had um, Julie. Ju yeah, Julie Brown and Adam Curry. Curry. I, I couldn't remember the name, Adam Curry. And he took over Headbangers Ball for a while after after yeah. Ricky left. He was not as good. He didn't seem to quite fit in because, you know, he was the pretty boy and he had the big fluffy blonde hair and all that kind of stuff. And then he would host Headbangers and he would, you know, wear the studded leather black <laughs> jacket. And you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> aren't you in, aren't you in poison? No. <laughs> <laughs> right. It just wasn't the same as, as it was when Ricky was doing it. Ricky was so great. Yeah, it was hard. I felt like when the second generation of DJs started coming in, I was like, oh, man, I don't I didn't I wasn't happy. But I mean, you know, I know obviously things have to change and, you know, can't go on forever. But it was just like the end of an era kind of thing when that it, happened. It really was. And and I liked Adam and I liked Julie, you know, but yeah. it wasn't it wasn't quite the same as that first little batch, that first family that yes. you connected with and I identified with. You know, and there's a couple of books out about the history of MTV that came out a couple of years ago around the 40th anniversary. And apparently Julie Brown is a horror show. Oh, like really? apparently she is just like a tyrannical, oh. horrible person. And and like nothing that people that say about her, she admits it. She's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wanted what I wanted and yeah. I wanted people to, yeah. you know, do what I wanted them to do. And she, and, admits that she wasn't nice to people, but she also was outside of JJ, one of the first people of color on that show. And oh, she sure, had a of course. Huge platform. So oh, absolutely, I get, I get her wanting to use the most out of her platform. But some of the people that worked there and were on air were not exactly the nicest people. Often, 
Cameron. Just to go back to that group of the core five VJs and just, mm-hmm. just the early, early days of MTV. I mean, you know, I think obviously if you're, if you're then at that, mo- there at that moment and you're at the genesis of this channel um, and this innovative kind of new thing, I mean, just imagine how exciting that must have been. And, and I think that it, w- it must have felt like, you know, any kind of new like movement or something does you're you're there at the beginning and you are doing this you're, you're like rogue independent kind of group that you know and i think that everybody i think they transmitted that well to their audience mm. and i think you felt when you're watching mtv you're really pretty cool because you're 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 got you got this underground thing that's hip and happening you know yeah but i think when it once it start started changing over of course you lost that feeling a bit I agree. You know, when, when you get into the, the era of like total request live, Oh God, you know, it's, it's, it's not the same thing as it was when, no, you know, when you, you feel like you're in your living room or in my case, my father's office at the office of my company. And it's just you and these people are playing music for you. Yeah. You know, because there isn't this big community. It isn't a widespread thing. It isn't like socially accepted yet. No. And it, there was just something fun about that. Yeah. And there was also a time in general in the music industry when bands had an opportunity to develop. You know, if you think of somebody like oh, REM, yeah. I mean, they, you know, they were nurtured from a college radio band to a giant, massive, smashing success, you know? Yeah. yeah. And the th- I think the breakout of college radio in the United States and subsequently commercial alternative. Yep. This also goes to MTV because a lot of the stuff on MTV, even the stuff that was in mainstream programming, that was different. Some of it was too weird for regular radio. College radio was still happening, but this was a way to give the bands you may have heard on college radio a larger platform. So bands like you know Midnight Oil, REM, In Excess, U2, yep. this was a natural way for them to take it to the next level. Right. right. Yes. Yeah, also completely. It also completely changed how like, as a DJ, you went about doing your work because before you would just go to the record store and file through records and, oh, this looks cool or word of mouth from the guy in the store. Now you could, you could, you know, record two hours of videos every Sunday night and kind of get an idea of what was new and kind of interesting. You know, I remember discovering like, you know, red lorry, yellow lorry on 120 minutes. And, um, um, <laughs> I remember the dear God video on MTV and yeah, then, um, just, Hearing that and going, oh, this is going to go over well. And so there's a lot of interesting things that piggybacked off this. It also sort of changed, um, I think, the integration of the charts. Because I think prior to like 83 or 84, the charts were still pretty, the top 40 charts were pretty white. Um, But you got more soul, you got more R&B, a lot more crossover. And I think it really diversified radio i think formats got a little more open i mean the uh, stations that were doing classic rock or aor or aor radio were still going to do that but like the, the the hit top 40 boom in the 80s really sort of also picks back to this yeah um, because i don't think you were going to hear you know billy idol on that kind of radio station unless because the because, but he was huge on MTV, and yeah. so it therefore they were going to play that. Same thing with mm-hmm. Madonna and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, you talk about an artist who knew how to work MTV and use that platform 
to her advantage, and that is Madonna. Mm-hmm. Yeah, holy smokes! As much as you talk about Duran Duran doing it and and really catching that wave early on, like as soon as they're out of the gate, and really helping to establish MTV as an important thing, Madonna, holy oh, yeah. Moses, she took that thing and did more with it, took it further than I think most anybody probably would have or could have. Also, her performance on the first was oh, it the my first. God award show or yes. second well, it was the first i think i mean she knew she knew what to do coming right. out on that rolling around the floor in the <laughs> wedding dress so <laughs> oh my gosh you know you obviously know? she knew what she was doing oh sure she was very calculated you know every yeah. step she took she knew the reaction she was going to get and she did it for the reaction for the controversy exactly the sex book and all that yeah. stuff but but the videos too the and the and the the performances mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she was a, she was she's amazing. a smart businesswoman. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing too, speaking of Madonna and also Michael Jackson, you know, the way commercials happen now after oh, yeah. MTV sort of broke commercials became sort of like mimicking MTV, right? Yeah. You had the, the Madonna Pepsi video that got banned and you had the Michael Jackson commercials and some of the, some of this other stuff like videos started to be shot. Uh, commercials started to be shot like videos. Yeah. Um, it also sort of created this like short attention span syndrome thing um, for longer form programs. But, you yes. know, and you got things like Miami Vice that were basically like MTV <laughs> videos. videos. Yeah. So, you know, as MTV grows, it permeates more and more into American culture. And it did it much more rapidly, I think, than people really expected it to. Do you remember the commercial that Bowie and Tina Turner did? Yes. Pepsi. No. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was great. Maybe if I saw it, I'm sure I would. They were <laughs> they were one of the backers of the Let's Dance tour. So, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But speaking of that, do you remember the game shows? Do you remember Remote Control? Control. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh, that was a bizarre program. <laughs> I applaud MTV for like for realizing our format our content can do anything let's so let's do anything let's do talk shows let's do a game show yeah that was nuts that was chris hartwick that was or oh no McCarthy. that was it launched um, a lot of people it launched hardwick it launched uh adam carolla jimmy kimmel adam sandler no, it was no it was a guy called ken somebody it starts with an o ken over he, ken, oh. yes he was the original host and then colin quinn did it for a while Colin Quinn. I always man. thought Colin Quinn was the secret weapon of MTV. I know. I loved him oh, yeah? so much. Yeah. Him and oh. Randy the Redwoods, you know, um, because they they really worked their shtick well. Colin right. was great. Yeah. <laughs> I know, you know it's funny to think about the people that got their start there, and you would never think, you don't Dennis think Leary. about him then from then. Hmm? Dennis Leary got his start on MTV. Yeah. Oh, right. Right. Um, another thing that, that we haven't talked about yet, and this goes back to the very beginning, you know, and one of the things that MTV did to really establish a style, like a house style. And that are, that's those animated logos, those interstitials that they used to do those like station identification kind of things. Those were amazing. Those things were super cool. And Rob, you had a good point though. They start when they started farming them out. 
Well, I think what happened was, you know, MTV sort of at the very beginning was hiring filmmakers, animation people, and really interesting creative people to make video imagery that matched the videos and kind of what they were doing. They were cutting mm -hmm. edge, right? Yeah. Then when they launched, like, they decided they were going to do, they made this tilt in the 90s to anime, where you started getting, you know, Aeon Flux and Beavis and Butthead and Daria yeah. and got all this stuff. Then they sort of started doing their own animation. And I think when they started doing that, you know, they stopped doing the I Want My MTV. They stopped doing the, the you know, the guy on the moon. The um, And the, I remember, I remember the... Um, I want my MTV. They would take the images of the people and sort of like colorize them. Like they were sort of Chiron yes. over, right? Yes. And they stopped doing that. And yeah. I think it really lost its soul at that point, because I think when some of these video outlets were in Europe, somewhere in America, but they really hired a lot of cutting edge people. You know, I know one point, one of the image consultant people that they talked about, like, how do we do these was Warhol, you know, oh, so wow. they, were, they were really trying to create like a visual pastiche, to surround the videos like so everything flowed continuously you know yeah. if you had video 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 you still wanted your thing between the video to be as eye popping and then they started branching out into longer form and i think that's when it really got away from them and i think that's what what killed them but you know a lot of that stuff comes from the very beginning like before they even started broadcasting they were trying to figure out what their logo would be and they finally yeah. came up with the logo style that they liked the big m with the squiggly tv on it and then they thought well what about our color scheme and so some guy like came up with a, an entire catalog basically of these these are all the different designs that i've come up with i've colored it some of them are stripes and some of them are squares and some of them are this or whatever and some of them are day glow and one of them and i don't remember which one it was i don't think it was uh anyway but one of the execs said let's do them all and that's where <laughs> that that logo that flashy thing where it just ran through all this series of it was basically like flipping through that guy's design book and they are like we'll take them all yeah and so and that whole like logo thing with the yeah. animations grew out of that and it was so it had that homegrown feel to it you know and i think later on it did not have that yeah it and got corporate it is true like it got very whole, corporate yeah. it got corporate yeah yeah but it's true with the 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 homegrown feel with the man on the moon thing too with the uh yeah that whole imagery and um Again, the I want my MTV spots, getting all those famous uh, artists to say, I want my MTV. And, you know, yes, even ended up in a song. I Call want my MTV. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Call your local cable company and demand, I want my MTV. Yeah. I mean, I loved hey. those. I mean, yeah. it worked. I did it. Right. <laughs> my cable company, and I don't think it was just because of me. I would like to think it is, but my cable company eventually did carry MTV. And oh my God, that changed my life. And I never left the house. <laughs> and, you know, especially, you know, when 1985 comes around and MTV carries the entire day long broadcast of Live Aid. Holy cow. That's oh my tragic. God. I remember that day so vividly, the entire day. I was glued to that TV. Yeah, it was. I was too. Oh my God. I I actually made sure that I was at four different people's houses <laughs> to watch it. Um, <laughs> because, you know, I was at that time full on music nerd and all my other friends were kind of like not really deep diving, yeah. you know, 
Yeah. But yeah, because there was a couple things my dad wanted to watch on the cable during the day. So I went to one person's house and he wanted to see a certain number of bands. And then think about why did really, I think, put MTV on the map in terms of being culture? A couple things happened that made MTV sort of a cultural thing. Live Aid was one uh, when they had the Bill Clinton presidential forum where he actually met with oh, yeah. young voters. Yes. I think, and I think, I think Rock the Vote was huge. Yeah, Rock the Vote was huge. Um, I also think to a very seminal music, uh, seminal moment is when Bowie told them point blank, you, you don't have enough black artists on and they listened. Right. And I was going to bring that up earlier where Bowie is doing an interview with Mark Goodman. They're just having a nice conversation. The, the, you know, they're covering all the points, the let's dance album and all that stuff, the serious moonlight tour. And then the interview concludes and Bowie says, well, I would like to ask you a question. And Goodman is like, sure, go ahead. And he's like, why don't you play black artists on your channel? And then it just devolved into this like 10 minute discussion where Goodman is having to, Goodman agrees with Bowie, but he's basically having to toe the corporate line of, well, you know, you have to be careful about what you play because the Midwest won't like something and the South won't like something and you have to think blah, blah, blah. And, and Bowie just sat there and said, that's very, very interesting, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that was just an incredible thing to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's what a, wow. What a, what a great thing for him to have done, you know? Right. right. Super ballsy in a great way. Exactly. Well, I mean, the, the perspective of what video television was, was different to the Brits than it was in America. Oh, sure. And for them, yeah. it was, I mean, it was, so that's part of it too, right? Yeah. Um, you know, another thing too is that outside the game shows, you know, you had remote control. I'm not remote control. You had the real world. Oh you my gosh. This, you have this whole thing with somebody on uh, the real world who is HIV positive and living yeah. with AIDS on television, yeah. which really at the time sort of uh, put the that whole issue in context for the times. And it also brought it to a sort of a very realistic front for everybody, you know, like a, it put a face to it, you know? Right. And then, you know, we talked about this earlier, MTV unplugged too. I mean, Oh my gosh. That, I went to one of those for REM. The, the, uh, the Nirvana one, I think is one of the seminal <sighs> moments of, of that. Oh, the Tony yeah, Bennett totally. one was great because it sort of, it showed MTV bridging a generation. And then, you know, I think the R.E.M. one was also. R.E.M. Well. was so incredible. I can't so believe what? I was there. I was so happy to be there. Right. Tell us about it. Well, I had um, the, the people. So I worked at Virgin Records at the time and my colleagues had just gone over to Warner. Yeah, I believe it was Lori who got me the ticket because I was begging. I was like, I have to go to that REM unplug. Like they, I just loved them so much. I have to go. I have to go. And so <laughs> they got me in, and I got, I got uh, to see that. It was just incredible to see that live. Yeah, it was a I'll really bet. cool, you know, stay intimate stage, intimate setup. I mean, it was very, uh, like, really personal. You know, you were right mm. there. I can't even imagine. That must have been just amazing. That must have been life-changing. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that show. I was looking up on Wiki uh, a couple of days ago to kind of remind myself of some of the artists. There was like a million of them. 
there are so yeah. many that I didn't even know had happened and don't remember seeing that. And some, and some of those were on uh, the international MTV channels, but the ones the on America, I was like, oh, my God, I had no idea. I know. And the but, funny thing about that show is like sometimes you, you would think, wait, this band unplugged, this is going to suck. And it was great. Yeah, and, and then yeah. opposite. Sometimes you'd be like, oh, this is going to be great. And it was like, eh, you know, but like right. it, it was it was interesting <laughs> to ha have every band sort of break their songs down and yeah. see that that really basic performance of everything. You 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 were going to be shocked to learn that my favorite unplugged was Kiss. I'm shocked. I know, right? Um, but it really was good. I mean, th that was where you really and and Kiss, you know, put out iconic live albums, and the Unplugged one is my favorite, uh, more so than you know than Kiss Alive and Kiss Alive Two, which were their massive ones from the seventies. You mm. know, Unplugged was amazing. It just awesome. broke their songs down into their most basic form with good musicianship. And a, a really interesting set list that the stuff that they never played live at that point. And it was so good. I think I missed that one. I really do. I have to go and check that out. It was, I don't remember what year it was, but it. they, I think 88 and they, they did it for Halloween, hmm. which, you know, is funny because kiss had long been without the makeup and costumes. So it's not as Halloweeny as it, mm -hmm. you know, Right, would have been in the 70s and early 80s, but still, you know, yeah. it is such a good show. It is perfect, man. I that was a that was a lot to cover in one hour. <laughs> Hell yeah, I know there's so much you could talk about forever for MTV. I just but... wish they would have stuck with what made them work and what made them so treasured, and not just what got so craptacular so fast. Yeah, what you, you mean, you music? Yeah, like hmm. well. <laughs> I mean, it's called music television, but they actually don't really right. have that much, you know? Right. Exactly. Um, it's just, it, it could be so much more and it's not, and it's frustrating. So yeah, absolutely. All right. So normally at this part of the show, we do our picks of the week, but um, we're recording this on July 23rd and just a day or two ago, the, the iconic Tony Bennett passed away so we want to spend a couple of minutes just talking about uh tony for a second so uh y'all want to lead that off tony bennett is pretty much the last man standing of a golden age of american singers crooners and popular entertainers um we still have frankie valley but you know in terms of like a bygone era tony bennett is a big deal i mean the guy's been making records for 80 years Amazing. um you know, the first Tony Bennett record I ever heard was um, The Best of My Heart from 1957. It was in a record collection of somebody's that I just picked up and I threw it on and man, it was great. I just knew that my grandmother, my mom, you know, everybody I knew loved Tony Bennett. And I just remember his records were really these impassioned songs where you felt like when you were hearing him that the man was singing from his heart. And you felt like um, these songs were like actual things that happened to him that were important, right? There's an urgency to those records that I think is really beautiful. And he really sort of knew how to make orchestrations work with records as well. What's also interesting about Tony Bennett is the civil rights movement. Tony Bennett was demoted in the military for dining with uh, people of color because the units were segregated at the time. And he was 
a very large um, figure in championing hiring black musicians to play with them. And also, um, you know, during the civil rights movement, just sort of like supporting the movement at a time when a lot of other entertainers uh, looked at record sales instead of social issues. And mm -hmm. that's really important as well. Another thing about him that's pretty incredible is his um, continued popularity over the years and yes. his ability to draw in new listeners over and over again. And that is just, I feel like when I saw him, it was, it was in the nineties and he was having a massive resurgence at, at, it was like college radio and stuff, you know? Yes. Right. right? College radio. Yeah. yeah. He was playing like South by Southwest. He was like, but I mean, it was just one of those. So it was almost like a Johnny cash kind of situation where, you know, they, he had another massive resurgence, but um, I remember seeing him and just thinking to myself, like I'm seeing a legend and I can see exactly why he is a legend because yeah. it just, uh, it, it's a whole other level of performance. And I saw him here, you know, in a large theater venue. And it was amazing because it's like, okay, he, he's got an orchestra and a band leader and literally like going, it was like a throwback to this era gone. Right. Yeah. But his charisma mm -hmm. and his sort of like, on stage persona was just you know it draws were, you in there are people that felt touched by him yeah. personally at their shows yeah right? definitely um which is pretty incredible and and one other thing is you know his his uh records with lady gaga that's another thing to me that i think is just so yeah uh, again he he's embracing you know this new generation of you know singing singer songwriter uh, she's pulling him into her world and he's pulling her into his world. And that is actually when I came to really appreciate Lady, Lady Gaga. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Same. There, I had a couple of things that happened and that was a big one. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you go look for it on YouTube. Uh, there's a thing where uh, Lady Gaga is talking about the last time. Um, one of the last times that she saw him was yes. very recently and, and it's on stage and he is at that point in his deterioration where he doesn't know what's going on around him and he doesn't remember people. And, um, there were times when she would visit him and he wouldn't know who she is and he's on stage and she comes out and he says, lady Gaga. And she was like, just almost broke down because yes. that was the first time that he had remembered her in a long time. And that's, Oh my yeah. God. It's a really great interview with them uh, about him on TV this week. And one of the things they said was that, you know, like you'd mentioned his memory was going, the Alzheimer's had really kicked in. And somehow when he would perform, it all went away. Like basically his music director would get on stage. They wouldn't have a set playlist. He would just play a couple notes and it was like the light switch went on mm -hmm. and he was the same Tony Bennett that he'd been. He knew all the songs. He knew the words. It's like Glenn you know. Campbell. That's what happened with Glenn Campbell. Yeah. And then yeah. literally it was like the light went on. He was like doing his, doing his thing. Um, and, you know, they got him a teleprompter. He didn't even use it. And then literally, you know, when he was making the music, it was like he was back to who he was. Right. And then it was so epically sad when the concert ended because it was like it got switched off. Right. And that's the great tragedy of what he went through. 
one of my favorite Tony Bennett moments, I, I'm, I don't have that much, you know, connection to Tony Bennett. Yeah. Uh, I never like listened or anything like that, but uh, years back, maybe 20 years ago, Alec Baldwin used to do the most amazing Tony Bennett impersonation on Saturday night live. Yeah. He would come on whenever he was hosting, he would do it and he would do it on a regular basis. And one time he was like, um, I saw this cat. He, he does impersonations of me. He's a Tony Bennett impersonator. And I thought I would bring him out. And it was the real Tony Bennett who comes <laughs> out playing a Tony Bennett impersonator. It was so <laughs> funny. Oh my gosh. It was amazing. And, you know, after I heard that he passed, I went and watched that skit again because it, it just, yeah. that's, oh my God, it's just the best. And he had the remarkable ability to not take himself too seriously. Right. Right. He was everything in terms of ego that Sinatra wasn't. You know, it, it was for him, it was fun. You know, he grew up seeing Louis Armstrong and Bing Crosby and said, wow, that looks really cool. I can do that. And he just, you know, he was a singing waiter. You know, he just yes. still thought of himself as a singing waiter that made records. You when know? he was cool. 15. Yeah. He, yeah. Oh, wow. That's phenomenal. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us. Next week, we have another one of our favorite things that we do, and that's the our anniversary shows. And next week, we are going to be talking about the albums of 1988. I'm so excited because there is some great stuff that happened in 88 that I'm really excited to talk about. Yeah. So until next week, Stephanie, where can mm -hmm. people find more about you on the internet? In the internets, you can the find internets. me. Internets. You can find me on Facebook at Stephanie Seymour. Wait, let me do that again. <laughs> on Facebook, you can find me at Stephanie Seymour Music. Is that right? <laughs> well, I don't know. It's your stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. You are um, your own best publicist. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, just find me. Now, you can go to Instagram and find me at there underscore r underscore birds. I have a website, therearebirds.com. Uh, you can find me on all the streaming platforms like Spotify. And uh, Rob, where can we find you? <laughs> Well, you can find me on the Facebook, on uh, the Twitter, or whatever the hell it's called this week, right? And also on Post, um, and Instagram as well, and coming soon to Substack. Um, but uh, also, uh, you can find me on uh, Louder Than War Radio on Mondays from uh, six to eight, yeah, six to eight Greenwich Mean Time, or twelve to two Central, one to three Eastern for a show called antics where I play all kinds of music. And uh, if you miss a week, cause it's during the day and people have lives, you can uh, go to the Mixcloud and listen to all 21 shows on Mixcloud. Um, in the spirit of Barnaby Jones, they are a Bob Perry production. Um, so uh, please check that out. Also, you know, it's not really a, a rags to riches story, but if you have left your heart in San Francisco, or if you're just feeling kind of blue, um, you can check out my show. Juxtaposition Wednesday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. on um, KDHX. It's on the archive stream at kdhx.org. Maybe you have, um, you know, an emu around your house and you're taking care of it and it keeps you from listening to the radio a lot. Uh, some people have children, some have emus. Uh, but, you know, you can basically set aside some time to listen to Juxtaposition and all the other shows on our streaming uh, kdhx.org archive. Or you can listen to it in real time as well, which is which is a real hoot. 
uh, as well. I've been doing that since uh, 1995, and there's an anniversary coming up uh, for that. I think it's 28 coming up. Yeah, um, 28. Holy for God, that, dude. For that. That's so That's insane. So, yeah. Um, so check that out if you'd like to. And I'm also on the uh, needcoffee.com Weekend Justice podcast as well. All right. Well, I've got a one catch-all website, CosmicCreative.com, K-O-Z-M-I-C Creative.com. All right. We will be back next week to talk about 1988. I am very excited. Hope we will see you then. Everybody have a great week. Take care. Keep rocking on, and we'll see you soon. San Francisco. Above the blue And windy sea When I come home to you San Francisco your golden sun will shine for me. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.